Welcome to another episode of This Week in Legal Blogging, in which we talk with leading bloggers from across the legal industry. I'm your host, Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog, lawsitesblog.com, and also have the podcast, Law Next. And this program is presented by LexBlog, providing lawyers with turnkey digital publishing solutions and strategic consulting for 16 years. You can find out about them at lexblog.com slash products. Um, we've got a bunch of episodes of this show. We've been talking to a number of leading bloggers and uh, encourage you to go back. You can find them all, the recordings of all of them on YouTube at youtube.com slash lexblog. And uh, the audio version, the podcast version on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, very happy to have as our guest today, David Oxenford, who's a, a partner at Wilkinson Barker Nauer in Washington, D.C., and he's the principal author of the Broadcast Law Blog, which this year is going to be celebrating its 15th year of publishing. So, uh, Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Uh, I, I said celebrating 15 years, but maybe I should have asked you that first. I mean, <laughs> are you celebrating or has this become a <laughs> an anchor around your neck that you're constantly having to uh, deal with? Uh, there are days, but generally <laughs> I, I have fun doing it. So uh, I don't think it would have gone on for 15 years if I didn't. Yeah, no, I've, I was saying that somewhat in jest. Um, <laughs> Well, be, before we talk about the blog, why don't you just kick it off by telling us about, about yourself and, and your practice? Sure, sure. I uh, characterize myself as a communications lawyer. I've worked with radio and television stations my entire legal career, um, almost 40 years now, um, and uh, work with them on FCC matters, uh, you know, dealing with regulatory and rulemaking matters, just making sure they stay in compliance and also doing lots of uh, transactions, buying and selling stations. In the last uh, 20 years, I've also moved into the digital media space, doing a lot of music licensing work for both broadcasters and other dig digital media companies and getting into other digital media uh, issues both on the business side uh, and in the uh, the legal side, you know, working on contracts and agreements and that sort of thing, as well as dealing with the copyright office and policy issues here in Washington. Yeah, I was thinking about the fact in, in, in thinking about talking to you that the, the media landscape has changed so much in the last 20 years. And, and even probably what you think of as, as who is a broadcaster or what it means to be a broadcaster. Well, you know, in many ways that's true, and it's sort of uh, my practice has expanded from broadcasters into a lot of uh, digital companies because broadcasters, the people, have moved into di the digital media world. Um, and actually the blog has kind of followed that same trajectory. When we started in 2006, I was doing mostly FCC work and at that point had begun to get involved with some webcasters who were having some issues over music royalty issues, uh, music royalty matters, and the blog sort of followed those issues. So I, I write a lot now on music royalty matters for webcasters and other digital music services because my practice has expanded along uh, as broadcasters have moved into those fields. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking about the fact uh, I, I do a lot of work with newspapers and, and, and newspapers, which were traditionally, you know, uh, print uh, paper, uh, dead trees, uh, have uh, newspaper reporters have in some ways become broadcasters. I mean, they are all now, uh, you know, posting video and 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 uh, recording segments. And if you go to something like the New York Times, there's as much, almost probably as much video production as as word production uh, going on there. Uh, really and, time. and audio. I mean, podcasts. Yeah. The podcast we're doing here today, uh, as this ultimately will be shaped into a podcast. And so many broadcasters and webcasters have been going as well into the, the podcasting space. And again, I've been working with some companies in that space as well uh, as you know, my clients migrate into, into those worlds. Yeah. Uh, what has been the impact, if any, of, of, of the past year, of the events of the past year, in particular the pandemic, on, on your practice? Has there been an impact? I was scared in March that nobody would be doing anything. Um, I've been shocked at how busy we've been. Um, you know, the transactional work, buying and selling of broadcast stations has slowed significantly just because nobody knows what the business is going to be like tomorrow. Um, and certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of the broadcast stations suffered some terrible economic losses as all their customers shut down and didn't want to buy advertising anymore. That has recovered in most markets, uh, smaller markets, actually much more than the bigger markets. The bigger markets are a little bit slower, but uh, um, nobody's quite sure how much that rebound will continue. So the transactional world has uh, has slowed somewhat, but the regulatory world really hasn't. Um, the FCC, for instance, even though it's not physically in its building, they've continued on regulating just as much as they've always regulated and dealing with all sorts of issues and had new ones to deal with because of the pandemic and some of the uh, issues that that has raised. And that's kept, uh, kept me very busy. Digital music licensing has become a big issue as more and more folks suddenly have to deal with uh, music rights issues. Um, I've written some and uh, spoken at a couple of uh, panels on uh, digital music licensing as everybody's doing stuff through online platforms and it, which raises all sorts of uh, different music rights issues that we didn't have to think about when you were just streaming things uh, in real time. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, Let's let's start talking about your blog with just asking you to tell us generally what you cover, what it's about. Um, you know, as I've already alluded to, um, it's called the Broadcast Law Blog, and so it's it's uh, originally was aimed uh, at broadcasters to talk about FCC and other regulatory uh, issues that impact broadcasters, and certainly that's still the focus. Um, uh, so if a broadcaster comes to read it, uh, you know, hopefully they'll find something of, uh, of interest on our pages. Um, but it has expanded uh, significantly into digital media issues, certainly music rights issues. Today I posted about uh, copyright reform, including the safe harbor for user-generated content, uh, as there are some uh, legislative proposals out there on, on those issues. We also get into advertising law issues. Uh, um, 
suddenly I've got a big readership in the uh, cannabis world as we've been posting about cannabis advertising a lot because that's an issue that many broadcasters uh, face about whether they can take that advertising. Um, so I think I've got a, a bit of a following in the cannabis world, which is someplace that my mother never thought I would get into in, in terms of legal uh, uh, legal work. Um, and I actually spoke at a couple of conferences on advertising issues in the, in the cannabis industry. So it's, uh, it's interesting how your practice evolves. And, and a lot of that has come from writing about things on the blog. Mm-hmm. Inter- very interesting stuff. Um as I, as I said, this is going to be the 15th anniversary of the blog. You started it, uh, as far as I can tell, on June 11th, 2006 uh, is the first post. Um, why did you start a blog back then? What what led you to do that? Uh, I spent the first 20 years of my career at a small uh, firm that specialized in communications law. And one of the things that we did at that firm was try to keep in touch with all of our clients as, as much as we could. We would send out newsletters on a probably a weekly or uh, every other week basis, you know, physical pieces of paper where we would summarize what went on at the FCC um, and send those to, you know, hundreds of clients nationwide. Um, and it seemed to me that as everybody was going digital, um, the electronic world was the, the, the way to keep in touch with people. We, at that firm, we started to migrate to sending stuff by email, but it wasn't really open to the world the way that a blog is. Um, so when I went to Davis Wright in 2006, um, they uh, had a couple of blogs um, and I had been thinking about doing a blog and because they were already up and using the platform, they said, why not? And so I launched the, the blog in 2006 and have been going pretty regularly ever since. Were, were you writing as regularly before launching the blog in other formats or was this picking up uh, something new for you? Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, I was writing probably not quite as as often as I do on the blog, but quite a lot uh, in these paper formats, you know, putting together memos on various issues to go out to clients to just alert them that something had happened at the FCC to pay attention or uh, some other regulation or legislation had been adopted or was being considered that they should be paying attention to. But the blog has certainly increased that and expanded the the scope of those uh, notices as well. I thought it was interesting, uh, given what we were just talking about, uh, that in, in your first post, you kind of laid out some of the things you hope to, to talk about. Uh, and uh, you wrote, for instance, one of the questions we'll have to address is just what the broadcast industry is today. <laughs> Sounds like we're still you're still addressing that issue and defining that issue. I have to go back and read that first post. It's been a, a couple of years, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's exactly right. I mean, what is the broadcast industry these days? And it's really, as we've been discussing, much, much broader than just broadcasting. And, uh, you know, it really has brought me into all sorts of different areas uh, in, in blogging. So, uh, and in my practice. Yeah. Um, at, at some point, I think it was about six years maybe after you started the blog, you left 
the firm at which you started it and moved to the firm where you are now. Um, was that an issue at all in terms of bringing the blog with you? The, the folks at Davis Wright were, were great um, at and letting me take it with me because I was the principal writer. Um, there was an associate who was working with me uh, to some degree, but he had uh, left to go to the FCC. Um, and I was really the, the heart of the broadcast practice, and we had some conflict issues. Uh, and when I decided to move over here, and so they, they let me migrate it over uh, without too much trouble. Um, so uh, we just, I've just continued it here at uh, Wilkinson Barker. Yeah, I, I, re I read something again. Well, I read something on your blog uh, <laughs> that said that at that point that you kind of switched over to uh, your current firm. Uh, you, they, you did actually have to remove some posts that had been written by others at Davis, right? Is that was that the case? Yeah, but there were. Uh, I wrote most of them, but there were some, yeah. and you know, some may still be up there. I'm not sure. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Yeah. All you people out there in the audience, please don't pay attention. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, we, we took down a couple. But uh, you know, generally, uh, you know, it's publicity for them if there's still links to some of their right. their uh, documents up there. Yeah, and, and probably some of them are no longer at the same firm either. Oh yeah, no, um, no question. Yeah. And and, and uh, well, yeah. Uh, so what about now? Are you? Uh, I know you're the principal writer, but there are others who contribute for the to the blog as well. So how, do, how does that work? How do you, who else is contributing to it? How do you decide who's doing what? Well, generally I write most of the articles. Um, I do have an associate now who's working with me and we've started in the last year, a regular feature on Sunday. We'll post uh, a summary of what went on the week before. And he mm -hmm. certainly uh, helps me a lot on, on putting that together. And just a brief, quick hits of what went on the week before. Here's a link to where you can go to find the FCC's order, the legislation, the, a blog about it or whatever. Um, and that's something that I've wanted to do for a long time and tried to do it in different formats, but it is a little labor intensive. So having yeah. a, somebody to help me with that has been been great. A guy named Adam Sandler, not the actor, but- <laughs> When he's not uh, acting, yeah. Right, uh, Adam has been helping me a lot to put that together. And also I've for years done a, um, um, what's ahead in the next month for broadcasters, looking at regulatory dates, uh, towards the end. Of, in fact, we just published that earlier this week, looking at February and looking at the important dates for FCC filings or comments and rulemaking proceedings or FCC meetings or other things that are coming up uh, in February. Um, and he's helped me po put that together as well. I've got a couple of folks who contribute here and there. Uh, Mitch Stabby, one of my partners here at Wilkinson Barker, is a trademark attorney. He wrote a post that we actually posted on Monday. This has been a big week for other writers um, on Super Bowl advertising. He's a trademark lawyer, and every year we post something about the Super Bowl. Uh, and it's actually usually one of our best uh, read articles because there's lots of folks trying to use Super Bowl and advertising or promotions, uh, and there's lots of legal uh, pitfalls in using yeah. the word Super Bowl uh, in in those uh, promotions. So we post something each year, and Monday was that uh, was that post. Yeah, 
I'm going to guess that uh, that weekend review post you were talking about that that Adam helps you with is is very popular. Uh, I think people like that kind of stuff, and uh, I, I've, I've done a little bit of that on my own blog sometimes, and it always gets a lot of uh, a lot of readership. Yeah, and it's just good to to have it to cover the things that you can't get around to writing. There's always so much happening in the communications world that you can't possibly hit all the things in a in a feature article, even if it's just a paragraph or two saying, "Hey, this happened." Uh, so having a weekly summary with just a sentence or two about each of the uh, issues at least lets you touch on everything that happens. You know, my readership has uh, I've got a, a lot of loyal readers um, throughout the broadcast and media industry, and I think it helps them um, just keep on top of some of the things that are, are going on. Yeah. And how do you know that you have loyal readers? I mean, how do you know who your readers are? Who are your, you know, you talked a little bit before about the fact that your who your readers are has evolved and changed and expanded over the years. Um, but it's hard to know when you're blogging just who it is who's reading your blog. So how do you measure that? How do you gauge that? Um, you know, I mean, just as a, a matter of numbers, I look at Google Analytics on a regular basis and see what what uh, what's getting read and what's not getting read. But and I know you know who my couple thousand subscribers are and um, recognize a lot of the names. But I get a lot of feedback from people just saying, hey, I loved your article on this, or hey, I saw your article on this, can you help me figure this out? Um, I, I, I get some weird things happening. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I speak at a lot of broadcast and media conventions, and I'll all the time have people come up and say, oh, I read your blog, I really uh, you know, enjoy your blog, I get a lot out of your blog, or here's a suggestion for an article you ought to write about, somebody looking for free legal advice, sometimes uh, asking me to write about some issue they're facing. But you know, I, I, I remember one, um, if I can tell a story here, uh, I was standing around in the Bellagio Hotel in Las Vegas. Every year, the National Association of Broadcasters has a huge convention in Las Vegas. You know, 100,000 broadcasters and associated folks come to Las Vegas for their convention. And I was standing around in the lobby of the Bellagio with three or four friends just just chatting and somebody comes up to me and taps me on the shoulder. And you know, my friends and I are just, oh, yes. And the woman goes, are you David Oxenford? <laughs> yeah. And she goes, I'm your biggest fan. I read your blog all the time and I use it for my students. Um, she was a teacher at a college in, in San Francisco. She then asked one of my friends to take her picture standing next to me so she could show it to her class back in uh, California because uh, the, she had met David Oxenford, the blogger. Um, and it's it's bizarre. Here, here's another you are a rock star. <laughs> here, here's another weird story. Um, my son, one of my sons, um, um, got a master's degree in documentary filmmaking and had to take a course as part of that uh, on legal issues for media and filmmaking. And his first day in class, um, 
the teacher passed, or I guess it wasn't his his first day in class, but it was a, a couple days into the class, the first day in class, she passed out an article that talked about a guy who that summer before we had just had uh, dinner with because we were both speaking at a state broadcast convention out in Wyoming and my son had come with me to go visit Yellowstone after the convention. So he goes, oh, I know this guy. Two or three days later, she was talking about the use of music in um, various um, media uh, uses, passed out one of my blog articles. And my son is like, whoa, I know this guy. Didn't say anything to the teacher, but you know, here's the teacher passing out one of my blog articles in a class that my son is sitting in. Yeah. So it, it, the blog gets around. Yeah. Have you have you ever thought about what it is about blogging as a, as a medium of communication that that creates that kind of connection with people. I mean, the woman running up to you at the lobby of the Bellagio, uh, you know, <laughs> wanting her picture taken with you, uh, you know, that that's that's pretty effective. <laughs> that says something about the effect of your blog. It, it's uh, it, it, it's it's staggering to me, actually. Um, I mean, it, uh, that's that's and that's one of the things actually that keeps me going is the feedback yeah. that I get yeah. from broadcasters and you know, going over when I'm taught in normal times, when you go over to the FCC to lobby on things, a lot of folks at the agency read my blog and yeah. they're like, D you know, don't write about this or uh, oh, I know what you've said about this issue, but uh, they they read it. Um, yeah. So yeah. did it, you uh, when you started the blog, did you view it as um as primarily a, a marketing vehicle, as a way of building up your practice, or did you have a different uh, sort of goal for it? Well, I, I think both marketing and just communications with clients. Yeah. Just an easy way to put something out there that clients could read to stay on top of things and also uh, make it available to the world so that they could yeah. uh, uh, find out what I was talking about and know that I'm out there. Yeah. Well, what about uh, that that marketing aspect of it? Do you feel, feel that there has been uh, an impact on on your practice, either directly or indirectly, as a result of blogging these fifteen years? No question, no question. I I know, for instance, this past year, I got a, a decent sized client who had read an article on some music rights issues that uh, they were directly impacted by and gave me a call and ended up helping him out uh, on, with a couple of issues. Um, and that's, you know, that, that doesn't happen all the time. I get a lot of calls for free legal advice, but uh, there, there are also, you know, real clients who, who come in through uh, just reading about it in the blog. But even more than that, it helps as validation, um, you know, people who meet you at a conference or get a referral from somebody else who do a Google search and suddenly your name comes up, you know, a whole bunch of times on a particular topic. Um, the blog is the reason a lot of times that that comes up or they go to the blog and read what I've, I've said and, and it provides uh, the validation that I, I know what I'm talking about. Or as I said, if I'm taking a client through the halls of the FCC, and suddenly, uh, you know, somebody is, uh, some government official is talking about all the articles I've written on my blog on a particular topic, that, that impresses them. I, I, 
another story, if I, you know, again, if I can brag a little. Um, That's what we're here for. <laughs> two, two years ago, we were, I was at a lunch with a young associate um, where the chairman of the FCC was addressing a group of broadcast engineers and guests of the engineers. And so we were at this uh, lunch and the associate was there. And at that point, there was some controversy at the FCC. And I had just blogged on it the day before. And the chairman of the FCC walks in. And you know, I've had some interactions. So as he walked by the table, I said, hello, Mr. Chairman. And he shook hands and he goes, I really loved your article on this topic. And I'm like, wow. And the associate was like, wow, he, he, he reads your blog. And then he got up, gave his speech, and somebody asked him about that issue. And his answer was, go read Dave Oxenford's blog on that matter. And the associate was just like, whoa, look at that. The, the chairman is looking for you uh, for legal advice. And, you know, it, again, it's staggering to me that there's, the, and it's a little frightening to me that there's that many people that read it. Uh, and I get corrections from people at the FCC yeah. and elsewhere, too, if I say something wrong. So you'll see a couple of errata here and there uh, um, sprinkled throughout uh, the blog when somebody calls me and says, no, that's not what we meant. Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the frightening part. Being if if knowing that people are reading it, it makes you have to work that much harder at getting it right. And and uh... and I have to try to not be insulting too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I I find that there's always a fine line in blogging about expressing an opinion or or, or talking about the issues, and uh, you know, being insulting or or being too one sided. In the issues, um, I mean, I, in the music licensing world, I represent users of music, digital music services for the most part. Yet, uh, a number of the, uh, a couple of the rights associations will send out my blogs to their members or retweet them or something, uh, uh, tweet about them when I put them out, because. I try to cover both sides of the issues, mm -hmm. at least mention both sides of the issues. You know, probably somebody reading it can figure out which side I'm on, but you know, I'll try to mention at least uh, uh, both sides to some to yeah. some extent. But do you avoid explicitly expressing a position or or an opinion about legal issues? I, I wouldn't say I avoid it. I mean, there'll be times I'll say I've got clients who have taken this position or um, at times it will be consistent with advocacy I'm doing in other uh, areas. Um, but I will usually, uh, I, I think, pretty much always acknowledge the other side and the arguments made by the other side. Yeah. Or, or you won't uh, you won't declare the latest action from the FCC to be the stupid thing they've ever done or something. <laughs> I don't think I've used those words. <laughs> Good. I, I, how do you, I'm always curious. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, blogging is not, is not billable time per se. So how do you balance, how do you find the time? How do you keep up with everything that's going on in your field and find the time to write about it? You post pretty regularly. I don't know if you're on a particular schedule, but uh, you're not one of those occasional bloggers. No, I mean, we usually get especially with the regular Sunday post, at least three or four, sometimes five articles a week up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of those are short articles, a couple of paragraphs about something that happened. 
And I'm a pretty uh, efficient writer, so if it's just the FCC fines somebody for doing this, be careful about it. Um, you know, that's something I can knock out in half an hour or so. Um, if it's a longer article like the one I posted today, that may be something I'll be writing in pieces over the course of a couple weeks. Um, I used to write longer articles watching TV at night. Uh, somehow I just... I don't have that focus anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 it's just a part of my routine that I'll spend an hour a day at some point, uh, maybe not quite that, maybe not every day, but most days when I'm not tied up by other things, uh, trying to, to, to take time to do it. Because you know, I think it's important just to keep top of mind. Um, I mean, I just notice my traffic and readership going down when I'm um, just doing one article or mm -hmm. a week or uh, just putting up a you know, routine this week uh, thing, people don't don't come and don't read it. Um, yeah. The more that you post, the more you, readership you get for all of your articles, not just the one that you've just posted. You know, you, you've talked about your you've talked about your analytics and your traffic. You've talked about your your readership, uh, uh, the the, uh, the growth and the diversity of your readership. You've talked about being you know called out by the chairman of the FCC at, at a luncheon. I mean, what what to you defines whether your blog is successful or not? What do you look? What, what's most important to you about 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 sort of the measure of whether your blog is succeeding or or not? It's it's as I said, the feedback. Just hearing from people. Um, it, one of the things I love to do is go out and speak to broadcast groups. I work with a lot of state broadcast associations, um, with some digital media associations, trade associations, uh, and other groups. And I just love to go out and do an update on whatever the legal issues are. Um, and a lot of those associations retweet, uh, retweet or republish articles that I write or distribute the articles that I write. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been invited to go speak to a lot of these organizations because they've read things that I've written. Um, and, uh, you know, it's sort of the, the synergy. I, I hate that word synergy, but it's I think it's apt. You know, you write, you get speaking engagements, uh, you clients find out about you, uh, either meeting you at the uh, events word of mouth because people have heard about you and understand some of the uh, um, stuff that you know about. When you're, uh, have you ever uh, spoken uh, or or worked with uh, perhaps associates on on the topic of of how to blog and and, and what makes a blog uh, work or not work? Um, you know, it's it's hard to get people to commit to doing it. You yeah. have to be maybe a little weird um, to, to, to really <laughs> Welcome commit. to my world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I've tried to get people to write on a regular basis for the blog, and it's difficult um, to really get people to do it. Um, um, I, you know, I mentioned Adam. Uh, there's a guy named uh, in our firm, David O'Connor, who gets to review most of my posts to help me uh, make sure I haven't messed things up too badly. Um, and he's been a, a big help as well. But uh, getting people to commit to regularly write posts uh, it, it is hard. Um, you know, it, it takes a commitment. 
and I think that's why we see so many blogs who, uh, uh, you know, end up posting once every month or two, maybe, or uh, start out with a bang, posting three or four times a week, and then slowly fade away. Um, you know, us, us old guys who have been doing it for a long time, I think it, it takes a certain mindset to, to really get into it and uh, continue to do it for, for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, well, assuming hypothetically I were to come to you, a young associate in your firm, and say, I really want to start blogging. I want to start my own or I want to help you with yours. Uh, what, what, I mean, what have you learned? What advice would you give somebody just starting about what's sort of most important about making a blog successful? I think it's um, a couple of things. One, be consistent. Don't really know that you're going to dedicate the time to it. Um, and do it on a regular basis. Don't just uh, once every six months post something because nobody's going to read it. Um, and second is have a voice, have something to say. You know, I've tried to make my blog um, readable, not for lawyers, even though lots of lawyers read it. But uh, in plain English, I don't use citations. I don't use footnotes. Um, I try to, you know, if, if I have to use a legal word, I try to explain what it means um, so that it can be read by somebody in, in the business world. And, but that's, you know, that's the approach I've chosen. You know, I see lots of very effective blogs that are written directed to lawyers or dire directed to other folks in the industry. And it's just, a, I think, a question of finding what you want to say and how you want to say it and making sure that you're, you're consistent and doing it on a regular basis. Uh, on, on this soon-to-be uh, 15th anniversary of your blog, have you ever looked back and, and thought about what the impact has been on your career overall? I mean, if you hadn't started this blog 15 years ago, do you think you would be in a different place right now than where you are? You know, it, it, it's hard to say, but I certainly think that the, the blog has helped and uh, um, and it's just part of my life at this point. Yeah. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Dave, we're, we're about to wrap up. Up, but uh, any other uh, words of wisdom or uh, insights or anything else about your blog that you'd like to share before we wrap up today? No, I just uh, you know appreciate everybody who reads it. I'm glad to be able to talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, uh, things that it has led to. Uh, it's it's been an amazing journey, and you know, I, I still enjoy doing it, and hopefully. Uh, I'm not sure I'll be doing it in another 15 years, but I've got a couple more years uh, left uh, left in me. So we'll, we'll see how long it goes. <laughs> That's good to hear. Well, congratulations again. And thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today and tell us all about your blog. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed it. And uh, we've been speaking with David Oxenford, who is the author of the Broadcast Law blog and a partner at Wilkinson Barker and now we're in Washington, D.C. That's it for this week's episode of This Week in Legal Blogging. We will be back again next week with uh, another great blogger to have a conversation with. We are Thursdays, uh, noon Pacific, 3 Eastern time, always live on Facebook. So catch us. Until next week, this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening.